fighting, I get a clap. I like that. Thank you so much, Amanda. It is great again to be here, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm just happy to worship. I worship with you guys and see what the Lord is doing uh, through you. And I know I knew um, I knew Derek and Joy before they went to Louisiana, and uh, just just for a little bit. And uh, and so we're glad. I'm really glad that they're back now. You could say, I suppose, um, as a Texan, I feel like I'm now a Texan. I've been here long enough that they went into exile in Louisiana for a while, and they're now back into the only place or the only state in the union that matters. I'm sorry if that offends anyone. Um, so they're back from their exile. And now we get a new and wonderful growing congregation. So it's fun to be here. Um, I use that word exile because exile is something, is, a, is kind of a theme word for the psalm that we're going to be learning from or studying today. It's Psalm 63. And in it, there's a historical note um, in this psalm which says that David composed it when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So that is, he's in the wilderness and he's running away from Saul And he's in a dry and weary land, and he is helping us to understand what we're supposed to do when we're in a wilderness. When there's pain or difficulty, when we feel like we're in exile in our lives, David is going to help us chart a path to how we understand what God is doing and how we should respond to that pain. We often hear that Christianity is set apart from every religion because God has a redemptive plan for our sin. And that is a beautiful thing. We also see that Christianity is set apart from every other religion because God has a redemptive plan for our pain. So let me read this passage for us. Psalm 63, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would be with us by your spirit. Open our hearts, open our minds to learn and to grow. Help us to connect our present circumstances and difficulties with what you are doing to grow us and redeem us and change us as we look more like Jesus. Lord, be with us this morning, we pray, through this psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God has a redemptive plan for your pain. We're going to be exploring this idea in three different ways. One, we're going to look at our need in the wilderness. Two, we'll look at how we worship when we're in the wilderness. And three, we're going to look how God is growing us in faithfulness in the wilderness. That is, David is showing us how to take our wilderness pain and see what our true need is. He's teaching us how to take our wilderness pain and worship... And finally, he's teaching us how to take our wilderness pain and stay faithful even in the midst of it. 
Okay, so we need to look at our need in the wilderness. David here, when he writes the psalm, he's in a bit of a pickle, isn't he? At this point in his life, David has been anointed king. That happened in 1 Samuel 16. And yet he hasn't been able to take reign yet. He hasn't been able to, been able to reign yet. Who is reigning? Saul. And Saul, even though David has been very faithful to him, he's played music for him when he's been sad, he's loved his son, yet Saul is jealous of David. Saul is jealous because David seems to be doing everything right, and it really gets on Saul's nerves. And so now Saul, as we read in 1 Samuel 24, has taken a group of 3,000 men and is going after David to kill him. Although he's been nothing but loyal, now David is on the run with a small group of men with no hope of getting out. He's run from Saul's hometown of Gibeah to Nob, then west to the land of the Philistines, finally back east and south of Jerusalem to a place called the Wilderness of Judah, which is near Ziph and Gendi and Maon. Now those are not moons of the planet Tatooine uh, in Star Wars. Those are just the places that he's near. And with him is a loyal band of men, but conditions are not great on the run. They're often tired, they're often thirsty, and they're in danger. They're not only in danger from Saul and his men, but also from the Philistines and their men. And you can imagine David asking God, Lord, why? I mean, you anointed me king. You promised me great things. You said I was a man after your own heart. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in exile? And so I just want to pause right there and ask us to be honest. If you were in David's situation, what would your prayer look like? If you were asked to compose the words of Psalm 63, how would they begin? If you're anything like me, you would say something like, Lord God, get me out of this mess. Get me out of these terrible circumstances. We have a five-month-old, my wife Haley, who's in the back. Hi, Haley. We have a five-month-old whose name is Graham. And uh, Graham is really difficult right now. He's really tough. Um, He is our second child, and it didn't help that our first child slept really well through the night. I think that Graham has a really sunny disposition, but I'm not sure because he cries too much for me to know. Oh, that's kind of sad, isn't it? But I'm learning, I'm learning that what God wants for me is not just to pray that Graham would grow up fast. It's learning how to be with Graham and to love Graham in the midst of this difficulty and the anger that bubbles up in my heart. I heard one preacher once say, I got married and I realized how selfish I was. I had a kid and I realized how angry I was. And that's re- true words for a, for a poor preacher. But amazingly, David doesn't first start by praying that he wants to get out of his circumstances. He starts by looking at his soul and seeing what he really needs. Look with me at verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, David says. And I want to say, no, David, no. You're just thirsty and hungry. It's not your soul that thirsts. It's just your body that thirsts. But David says, no, it's not that. David starts by praying, not by praying for water and food, but by telling God, Lord, right now what I really need is I need you. I need you. He goes on in verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, indeed you have been my help 
and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. The situation here is not hunger and thirst, but danger. And when David is sitting up at night, watching in the night for enemies, his first thought is not vigilance against the Philistines or Saul. His first thought is not to his own sword, but to God's mighty hand. You see, what he does is he backgrounds his physical and emotional needs and foregrounds his spiritual needs. David is taking those personal problems and needs in his life that have fallen upon him in the providences of God and allowed those difficulties to form the way that he needs God. David has integrated his physical and emotional needs with his spiritual needs. And we need to apply this same blueprint to our lives. So maybe your marriage or another relationship lacks the intimacy that you wished it had. What do you do with that presenting problem? Normally, you get angry and bitter. You take that need and you want it filled. No, you demand that it gets filled. You want intimacy, demand intimacy. But this psalm is teaching us to take that need, that emotional need, and run it straight to God and say, God, in this difficult emotional time, what I really need is intimacy with you first. Maybe you are restless like me. You need your sleep. There's too many things to be done all the time. You have to wake up with your five-year-old son. Actually, five-month-old son. Actually, my wife wakes up with our five-month-old most of the time. I can't say that. But I'm still tired. You're restless. And the first thing you think is, you know, I just need to sleep in. And hey, maybe you do need more sleep. Like, that's not a bad thing. But the first thing you need is to realize that you are restless until you find your rest in the Lord. Let the providences of your life shape the way that you need God. Maybe you're a hard worker. You keep your head down. You're always doing the right thing, and yet you get passed over at work on that promotion or that raise. And you want your boss... You you know what you should do? You go in, and you knock on that door, and you say, Hey, listen... I've been working so hard for you. No, we can't do that. We realize that what we really need first and foremost is to hear our Father say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let the diverse and difficult providences in your life form the need that you have for Him. Your physical thirst is really firstly thirst for God. That's why we have thirst at all. Your lack of intimacy is a desire to know Him more. Your hunger is a hunger for Him. The physical pain that you feel in your body is a desire to be made whole one day by Christ. Even those difficult people in your life, they're not to be avoided or discarded, but they're being used by God to mold you into the person who's needy for Him. David is teaching us not to reject those providences or circumnavigate our difficulties. We need to take David's lead here and allow those difficult things, the pain in the wilderness, to say, okay, this is another place where God is molding me to need him. So what's God first doing in the wilderness? He's showing us that your physical and emotional needs are firstly spiritual needs for God. That's what God's first doing. Secondly, David leads us to take those needs to God in worship. Notice how David doesn't brood over his problems and his difficulties. He submits them to God 
and allows God to use them to bring David to praise. David goes to God with his needs, and look what God does. Okay, David thirsts, remember that, but instead of drinking with his lips and his mouth, look what he does in verse 3. With his lips and his mouth, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And what does he do with his mouth? Verse 5, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Remember how David was hungry in verse 1? In verse 5 he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And when he was in danger in verse 6, he goes on in verse 8 to say how God's right hand upholds him. David says, Okay God, you've brought me into this mess, and it's not my fault that I'm here, But I am going to allow you to be at work, and I'm going to worship you through it, and see what you're going to do to bring me out of it. In all of these difficulties, David responds with worship. And look, I know, when we are in the wilderness, we are going through a rough season of life, it is hard to worship. It's hard to respond to the Lord in praise, isn't it? In Christian, Christianese, Christian speak, we call this a dry season. Right? We don't feel like going to church. Our prayers feel shallow. We don't feel like it makes much of a difference. It's like there's, the world has been hermeneutically sealed and we can't get our prayers or our praises through to God. And that's actually why this psalm has a particular application to us when we're in a good season of life. It has an application to us in a good season because when we're doing well, this is the time that we can grow in our prayer and our praise and our attending worship. Dragging yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning is hard enough in a good season, right? When we drag ourselves out of bed in good seasons on Sunday mornings, it will help us to drag ourselves out of bed in difficult seasons on Sunday mornings. It's especially in those times of struggle that we need to be reminded to worship. Sometimes we also fall into this modern trap of authenticity, right? So we want to do things that are authentic. We don't want to be inauthentic. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, authenticity is a really good thing, but it's not more important than doing the right thing or doing what we should do, right? Church isn't just a place that you go like the mall. Church is the place where you meet the God of God and the Lord of Lords. It's totally fine if you are invited to the mall by a friend and you say, I don't really feel like going to the mall. That's authentic and good. You can say that to your friend. But if your spouse or child says, hey, will you love me today? And say, you know, I just don't really feel like it today. I don't, I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I would be authentic if I gave you my love and kindness and care today. That would be silly, right? Sometimes authenticity is not the most important thing. Just doing the right thing, even when we don't feel like it, is good for us. And that's what one of the things that David is doing here, right? He's saying, I will praise you. Notice the tense of the verbs. I will praise you. I will be satisfied in you. What David is doing is he's, he's speaking about of confidence in a time of difficulty. Scholars call this psalm a psalm of trust. Because David is talking to himself as much as he's talking to God. And that might seem a little weird for us because we think, well, shouldn't David just be talking to God? And what's going on here is David is having a little bit of grit, a little bit of self-determination. And he's saying, no, soul, what you really need to do right now is you need to praise the Lord. I'm going to. I'm going to do this. 
This confidence also has a future aspect to it, doesn't it? I will praise you. I will be satisfied. Reminds us that there is a future hope to our worship. We may not know how, and we may not know when, but we know that God will pull us through at some point from this dark time. So our worship is lifted by future promises. It's also grounded in God's past faithfulness. Look at verse 2. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. In verse 7, you have been my help. Because he's in the wilderness, David hasn't been able to gather with the people of God in the temple recently. And so he does both things. He says, Lord, in worship, I know that one day you're going to bring me through this. And he looks back and he says, I know that you have brought me through difficult things in the past. Like David, let's remind ourselves of the deep importance of engaging our God in worship, even in the difficult times. He has brought you through in the past. He will bring you through in the future. So, what is God first doing with our pain in the wilderness? He's showing us our needs. That our needs are really spiritual needs for Him first. What is God secondly doing with our pain in the wilderness? He's teaching us to take those needs to Him in worship. And finally, what's the last thing that God is doing with our pain in the wilderness? God is growing us in faithfulness. David is showing us how our wilderness pain can grow us in faithfulness as we wait for the better things that he has in store for us. What I find amazing about this psalm is that it's set in context of what we read earlier, 1 Samuel 24. Remember what happened? It's a very funny and raw scene. Saul goes off to relieve himself in a cave, and David is there, and all of his men are like, hey, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to get rid of Saul. But David doesn't. He even feels bad for taking just the little hem of his garment. He even feels bad about that. See, David knew that he couldn't hurt the anointed king. It must have taken great fortitude to let Saul go. And to make it even more difficult, David knew he was in the right and Saul was in the wrong. Right here he could have ended his exile, but he doesn't. Even even still, he knows that Saul is going to be punished by God. This is really interesting. Look at verses 9 through 11. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. See, David in no uncertain terms says that Saul will get paid back for his wrongdoing. But David also recognizes that he is not the judge and the jury and the executioner in that sentence. He may even hold out hope that one day that relationship can be mended. And this is instructive for us. Here's how it's instructive. No matter what the pain... Christians are never allowed to escape our pain and difficulty and wilderness in sinful ways. God always calls Christians to bear our wilderness with faithfulness, or as Jesus says, to pick up our cross. Think about it. With one fell swoop, David could have ended his exile. Just get rid of him. That would have been the easy way out. That would have been his way back to Jerusalem. Everyone knows that he was the rightful king. 
And he didn't. He didn't. He decided to stay in the wilderness where he was hungry and thirsty and tired. He decided not to escape. Now it's interesting, later on in David's life, some of you may remember there's another episode. But this time David decided to escape. Instead of being off with his armies fighting in the time when he was meant to be fighting, he stayed back. And that's when he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof. On the roof. In his time where he should have been with them, he decided to escape. And bad things happened. No, Christians are called to stay faithful in the wilderness, engaging in Christian virtue even when times are really tough. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where low blood sugar could justify almost anything. (laughs) Right? If I have low blood sugar, then I can say the meanest things to my parents or my kids because I just need food. And hey, look, it's a good thing to eat some food and to get that blood sugar up. But isn't it amazing that in in just something little like that, we realize how quick we are to hurt and blame and move to our sin when we're undergoing difficulty. Now, let me say something important here. Staying in our wilderness and not escaping it in sinful ways does not mean that you need to... Uh, that you can't get away from someone or something that's abusive or hurtful to you. That's important to say, especially to you kids. Um, This doesn't mean that we're gluttons for pain or punishment or something like that. It just means that as Christians we are to shun our escapist tendencies. Our escapist tendencies. Think about it. When you experience something difficult in life, your first tendency is to run away from it. Some of us form habits in order to cope. Maybe we decide that we're just going to drink a lot. Maybe we've decided to be addicted. Or maybe we haven't decided. We just kind of watch Netflix all the time. Maybe it's numbing our difficult relationships with pornography or escaping into sports or something like that. We run away from those hard conversations and we sweep them under the rug. We all have a drug of choice. We all have a drug of choice that we use to circumnavigate our pain, don't we? But God is calling us not to do that. Taking our cues from David in this psalm, we have to keep telling the truth about our situation to God. God, this is hard. This is wrong. Lord, this is painful. Lord, this hurts. Lord, if you're being sinned against, this person is sinning against me. And it's difficult. And at the same time, we, with David, have to resist the urge to strike back. That's what we want to do. We want to run away or we want to strike back, and we can't do it. We have to hear in verse 11 the consolation that comes to those of us who know that one day God will bring us out of our pain and difficulty. The king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. God will come to rescue you in your pain. We don't know when, we don't know how, but he will come to rescue you in it. David will return to Jerusalem as king, and you will one day be vindicated. We are the only ones to gain strength from this psalm, though. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he doesn't have to go toe-to-toe with a false king, Saul. He goes toe-to-toe with the false king of kings, Satan himself. 
And after 40 days of hunger and thirst, he responded to Satan, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And three years into his ministry, after what some would call an exile, where the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, he was thirsty and on a cross. But instead instead of escaping that terrible ordeal, instead of calling a legion of angels to fight for him, Jesus stayed and so won redemption and salvation for us. So that now we can look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and say, I know that sons and daughters of God will be made whole again despite pain. Because the beloved Son of God went through a terrible ordeal, and in his pain, God was still with him. And on the third day, he rose again. No one can offer the hope that we have in Christ, that your pain means something, that your wilderness means something, except for Jesus Because we know that in his pain, resurrection comes on the third day. In your pain, look to the resurrection of Jesus. There is consolation and hope coming. God has a redemptive plan for your pain. So what is God doing in our wilderness struggles? He's teaching us to see our physical and emotional needs as really needs for him. He's helping us to take those needs to God in worship. And finally, he's growing us in faithfulness to him as we bear up under the difficult pain that we experience in this life. We can sum this up no better than with Paul's words, which were printed in the beginning of the bulletin from Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would meet us wherever we are, in a good season or in a difficult season. Would, we, would you meet our congregation, these people, myself, in our pain? Would you remind us of the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus? Would you remind us that there is consolation coming? Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that you have a redemptive plan for our pain. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.